Welcome to the Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Anna Wolfenden, Derek Weston, and Sam Chaney. Welcome back, Food and Faith Podcast community. This is Derek. Uh, I am here solo. We are going to be uh, ramping down a little bit on our production for the show. Um, Summer schedules are taking off and we're all... uh, needing breaks and but at the same time we've got this film coming out in july 22nd um that will be as part of the sustaining church conference um uh, links to that will be in the show notes, so you can check that out. That's going to be the afternoon of july twenty second and we're really happy about that um so uh in yes, line of that we we're really in line of that I, that that other voice you hear is the director and filmmaker for um a wilderness like Eden uh mm-hmm. stories from the Christian food movement, which is Jason Chestnut. Uh Jason's been on the show before. Um actually it was just the, the end of last year, but we had um one that was election week and we ended up talking a lot about the election and two we didn't have an edited version of the film done and uh so a lot has happened Mm. since then so uh jason welcome back to the show thanks derek good to be here always I'm thrilled to have you on. Do I get um, to the level now? I'm a friend of the pod. Can I just say are, that out loud? You are a friend of the pod, Jason Chestnut. Um, there'll, uh, be, there'll be a little uh, a nameplate coming soon. In the thank mail. you. Thank um, you. They're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm like, astronaut? No, nah, I'm friend of the pod. I want to be a friend of the pod. <laughs> I want to be friend of as many pods as possible. Um, so... Uh, we ask, we start off uh, always asking questions about geography. And when we asked you this question before, you talked a lot about Texas. Um, I don't want to hear any more about Texas. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, I, I'm actually That's really. Fair. I, I'm really interested in, so in the last, has it been, has it been a year that you've been in the Pacific Northwest? It's coming up on that. Coming it's like about nine, 10 months. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'd love to hear because, I mean, this is also a geography that has uh, meant a lot in my life. Uh, I lived a summer in Portland. Uh, it was a very formative summer that I lived up there. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested in how, the Pacific Northwest specifically, the geography of the Pacific Northwest, um, both the land, but also culture, food, and all those sorts of things have shaped you in the last year. And particularly in this incredibly bizarre year, um, how has being in the Pacific Northwest shaped and formed how how you have made it through the uh, pandemic and uh all the adjustments that have come along with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, in some ways I could be on the moon or Mars as far as like, I, I mostly self-contained in my apartment. Mm. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I, I started really cooking, uh, with a newfound zeal at at the same time. So I wouldn't, so honestly, I wouldn't have to leave my house that often. Mm. Um, which is, which is interesting because, uh, the Pacific Northwest has some of the most beautiful, landscapes and I would say in, in our country, yeah. at least in the 48 States. And, um, 
when I first drove out here and I first saw the Columbia River Gorge, um, when I drive to Target or <laughs> Safeway and I see Mount Hood on a, on a clear day or even yeah. sometimes uh, Mount St. Helens, um, it's stunning. And so I think there was parts of that that, that drew me out here. It's hard to talk about it now, Derek, in the moment, because we are in the midst of a massive record-breaking historic heat wave. Um, huh. Yesterday was 115 degrees. Today is, it's going to be about the same. Um, I live without AC. I was told you don't need AC in the Pacific Northwest. Um, <laughs> and, you don't uh, until you do. <laughs> you don't until you do. But I, you know, it's, um, I'm having to learn a lot about kind of how our ancestors uh uh, operate and, and and still people today who live without air conditioning air conditioning is is um is uh just a recent thing and not all of us have it and so i think um it, it's hard to talk uh about the about the the landscape itself um just because i haven't been out in it as much i've been able to get out a little bit into the forest um i'm i'm overwhelmed by trees Mm. Um, if I can quote uh, the Reverend Heber Brown, who I've spent a lot of time with as an editor, um, since he's one of our main uh, uh, interviewees for this upcoming uh, Wilderness Like Eden, uh, episode one, uh, he speaks about how trees have been here before us and, and, and will be here long after us. And they have a lot of wisdom to, to offer. And I just think there's something specifically about these dense woods out here and not all redwoods although some of them are but it just seems like you can get into the you can get into walk a few miles outside of um the the the, the beaten path and it it feels like you've gone back centuries mm. um so i would say that for 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 me I'm, I'm also recognizing when you and sam and anna talk about um uh geography I can hear it in you that, I mean, you're spending a lot of time in gardens. You're spending a lot of time outside um, and recognizing the, the seasons of, for you um, in, in Maryland. Um, and, and, and so I feel like y'all are talking from that standpoint and, and Derek, I'm looking at a single house plant that I was given that is, I mean, I've tried to keep it alive and it's still, <laughs> It's just, it's, it's, it's having a rough time. And I'm, it's funny to me just cause I, I, I am captivated by the cathedral of, of creation as y'all have been coining. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed by what um, f the intersections of food and faith and uh, in this uh, pandemic time, um, especially I, I feel very disconnected from my geography. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, for, 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 for what it's worth. Also, I've been trying to go to, to farmer's markets more often, even just to, just to look and see what kind of produce is being offered. And it, and, and that really has changed too, from my time spent with, um, with this film project, I, I've looked at food differently. Mm. And so recognizing the kind of food that comes, especially from this area, um, and what's, and what's, what's um what's local to this area has been fascinating to see it's 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 a smorgasbord in a lot of ways yeah so what what is what is local what's in what's fresh and in season there in the pacific northwest well right now um uh now it's getting into summer springtime was my favorite asparagus mm. was in and um uh broccoli some really good broccoli spinach 
spinach heads, um, broccoli heads, I should say. I, I, I'm very aware now, um, even as I've gotten more into cooking, I have to really be uh, intentional about adding greens, Derek. <laughs> so I can talk more about the meat um, that I've gotten here. Uh, my butcher, the butcher is like the first thing, the first, uh, uh, you know, uh, local business that I frequented, I found out where my butcher was and I could walk to, to the butcher was great. Um, so I've done a lot of uh, work with that, but um, I would say that uh, it seems like there are an amazing amount of greens and um, produce that, that is, that is very fresh here. And I've mostly just kind of looked at it so far. I haven't you know, I haven't, uh, I haven't figured out like, Oh, what do I do with the cauliflower here? Or should I, should I take some of these turnips and turn them into something? I mean, it, it just kind of depends. Right. Yeah. I, I still don't know what to do with turnips. Like I, I have no, no clue. <laughs> well, I have this, like this slow cooker recipe that includes like some, uh, Chuck, uh, some Chuck, some, um, it's not ground beef, but it's a, it's a piece of beef and it's basically like your own, um, you know, like, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a very heavy stew and it's cooked forever. And I just feel like with turnips, that one also includes parsnips and carrots. And I just feel like once you cook enough stuff for enough time, like, listen, it's going to be good. Right. Yeah. 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 At some point it just turns into a big flavorful mush. So that's, that's good. Amen. Um, so when we had you on the show, uh, really appreciated um, in our last conversation, how open and vulnerable you were with your struggles around food and around eating. Um, yeah. And I think that made it all the more um, shocking, yeah. jarring, um, and, and, and ultimately really inspiring to see like all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're a month or two after that conversation and I'm seeing your Instagram blow up with these beautiful dishes that you're making. I see you like ruminating on things that you're getting ready to cook. Uh, you're, you're, we're, we're playing Madden online and you're t- telling me you got to go cause you've got this flank steak in the that that's getting ready to go i'm like oh, i'm like so who, good. who is this person <laughs> yeah so so what yeah. what what was the what was the impetus for um the impetus for you know you said you were part of this was the 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 pandemic reality right but like it feels like you didn't just like you know, start messing around in the kitchen a little bit. Like it just seems like you really went all in to like make really delicious food. Like Enneagram did... three for the win. I just <laughs> oh okay. Once all I right, made so, that decision. So, were, so once you started cooking, you decided you had to win at cooking. <laughs> okay, listen. When I bring up Enneagram three, okay, that's a trust, Derek. <laughs> yes, but I do have to win. I have to win at cooking. I, I will say, um, I think there's something ancient and spiritual about the act of cooking food. <laughs> I say this recognizing that there are sometimes, Derek, where I will spend an entire day cooking and I don't have any appetite and I won't eat it. Mm. I'll finish it and it'll just go into the fridge or freezer, depending. Um, that doesn't always happen, but it is an interesting uh, 
kind of wild con, uh, conflagration or conflagration, kind of a wild meeting um, of of my stomach, uh, which is just notoriously, notoriously what unstable and affected a lot by anxiety and stress um, that I was like, you know what? Um, I, I have this experience before, you know, I, I, I had these moments in my, in my way back history where I can remember cooking one night for people and I just freaking loved it. Mm. And I was like, I want, I, I can have that. Even if I just cook for myself, I, I think there's something special about the kitchen. There's something holy there. So that was kind of the, it's also just that it's an incredibly cheaper way to get fed yeah. than to be eating out, especially in our day and age of like being able to press a button, have to have food brought to you. You pay for that privilege. Um, and so I, I couldn't do that for, for, for very long. And so I wanted to, I just wanted to have something where I could save some money to be honest, but at the same time, it's just cooking is, is like that, that man, this is a, 1980s 90s board game called Othello and I don't remember much about it except the the commercials on TV that I would always see where they would say a minute to learn a like lifetime to master. to master you know it <laughs> my man so um I feel like cooking is that way uh, there's just so much to learn um I picked up salt fat acid heat by Sami Nosrat nice. which has just been a phenomenal so good. um resource um, and she has just helped me kind of go beyond, um, even where I, when I started, I was like, what are two or three different soups I could make that I could then put in the free fridge and have them extend out for a certain amount of time. Right. It wasn't anything sexy. And then it just, it started to shift. And I really do think there's something about the way that we have evolved. There's gotta be that somebody like me with my horrible appetite, even just doing food prep and, and the amount of time it would take to, to, to get something ready. Um, all of that process, not always, but sometimes it does open up my appetite. Yeah. And just as speaking as somebody who doesn't often have this experience, never take for granted the sense of feeling hungry and then eating and then being sated and being, energized or rested or whatever you want to do after you eat like that, that doesn't come to me often. Um, and I'm not the only one. There are a lot of us who struggle kind of around food. Um, but when I've cooked all that myself, when I've, when I've worked up, when I've scheduled out time to be in the kitchen, even if I don't eat, I feel I feel like my stress and anxiety goes down, which is probably also why I'm eating more right mm -hmm. inside in the kitchen. I just, I, I feel like there was a, there's just, there's something sacred going on there. And I, I, I would lie. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't inspired by the work that we're doing with the wilderness like Eden. Mm. Um, I know the power of food, especially where food comes from. And I also have to say that um, I know I'm eating better I'm probably eating more slowly, more intentionally, because if I wasn't cooking, then 
you know, whenever my appetite might come up, I'd have to really quickly go out and find some food. And by the time I got that food, I might not be hungry anymore. And I had nothing to do with making that food. Mm -hmm. And so I, and I can feel a difference where I took a little trip down to California. I was eating a lot of fast food. I could tell that difference, right? Because I'm not used to, uh, that's not, that's not been my, my menu. And so that's kind of my, that's kind of how I, how I entered into it. It was, yeah. it was somewhat, it was like trying to be just very practical, mm -hmm. but then I've encountered some powerful spiritual connections as well. It's, it's inspiring to hear you say that, to hear you refer to the kitchen as a holy place, right? Um, because like, that's, that's not language that we throw around, right? Like when we say something's holy, like we're, referencing an experience of the divine we're referencing experience of of transcendence right and i i i just kind of want to like to the extent that you can like can you flesh that out a little bit of like what is that what is that transcendent experience i mean you said you've said a couple times that like it feels like a connection to um ancestry even if it's not like direct ancestry but like right. to like our human ancestors yes um but but I, I i sense that there's more to it than that so like what's 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 that holiness feel like for you what is what is that holiness well, I would say and I, I'm I'm not a 23 and me kind of guy i've never i never traced my lineage i i have no idea just because uh, there's there's a whole other conversation around that, but I'm all I'm very interested in in as you say um, ancestors on a more human scale. So like mm -hmm. the earliest humans that um, that I think there's something about there is something about the time it takes to to gather your food, mm -hmm. right? Um, even, even when we were hunters and gatherers, right. There's, there's this amount of time it takes. And I, I, I don't know if this gets a transcendence, Derek, but there's just something about recognizing that, that this just didn't appear in front of me, <laughs> which is a little bit like pressing a button and the bag comes to my door, right? Like mm -hmm. this is something that, that I had to plan out beforehand, um, I had to, I had to gather all the ingredients. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a big scavenger hunt <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> um, um, and just excuse me, cause it, my brain's always, I feel like I'm always walking the line between, uh, you know, the, the transcendent and the just completely inane, <laughs> insane, <laughs> wild, random, who knows where my brain goes. But I mean, I liked, I, I like that aspect of gathering all these different elements together and then when it comes to cooking it and, and, and the time it takes to do that and that you're experiencing this food transition, mm -hmm. that heat is the main way that this happens, obviously, but, but all, all, all aspects of it, when you salt it, when you add acid, um, when, 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 when we, when we transform the food, it's like we're living into our, one of our vocations as human beings, we don't just, we're not hunters and gatherers anymore. And, and, and some of us still are, and that, that's a powerful thing. Uh, what I would say is that like, I think a lot of us, the vast majority of humans alive today have been removed from that process. 
And I, I, I'm one of the, I'm one of the first ones that comes to mind when I think about that, I've been removed from where my food comes from. And so, and, and, and of course there's always extreme, there's, there's always, uh, you know, levels to this. And so I'm not growing my food, like, like you are, or I'm not growing any food. Uh, and at the same time, when I'm collecting produce and meat and, and different when I'm going on my grocery runs and I come back and I enter into the kitchen, it's like the, the, the transformational thing for me is to recognize. And again, maybe this is something that is kind of on autopilot for many of us is that um, once my appetite is engaged and once I'm, once I'm gathering together the elements and I'm going through the process of making a meal it's like, why did the cicadas go back in after 17 years, go back in after six weeks for another 17 years? There's something beyond that. What makes me hungry? I don't know. What, what's, but there's like a, a, there, it's like I can feel the emptiness and here's a way that I can fill that. And I don't know if I'm making sense right now, but there's that sense of, um, there's a process happening and it's a mysterious and beautiful process. And however much I can be a part of that. Um, and, 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 and if I can watch it happen and if I can be there throughout the entire process, I feel like the end result, that food, it's like, in some ways I've worked for it. Right. And in some ways my stomach is now, um, just, it's been, it's been at the edge for a while. And when you talk about transcendence, I cannot explain to you how good it feels to eat something. I mean, at the same time I can, because you also eat every day, <laughs> but just to think about the, you know, consider that you rare, re you rarely feel that way that you're often just kind of like either doing protein shakes or you're just trying to get something into your body when that's um, more of your reality then every aspect of cooking food, every part of it can be transcendent. Mm. Mm, I love that. Uh, so there's a, there's a a few things you said there that are just so powerful. One I think is the assumption of appetite, and like for for most of us, there is just an assumption of appetite that we can I can reliably count on some point in the morning, right. some point in the afternoon, some point in the evening, I'm going to be hungry. That's wild. And, and like, when you think about it, right, that's wild. It, it is, it is. And like, I totally take it for granted, totally take it for granted that my body is doing the work and like nothing to, to like from send messages from my stomach to my brain. Right. And like, nothing is, you know, most of the time, you know, except for in my anxious or depressed states, mm -hmm. like nothing's getting in the way of those messages being received. Right. Right. Um, so just the assumption of appetite and, and where appetite comes from, like that in and of itself, like is somewhat transcendent. It is somewhat yes. mysterious in and of itself. So there's, there's one piece there. Second is like, I'm hearing in you a mindfulness that is developing of like, you're slowing down, you're, you're paying attention to ingredients, you're paying attention to the process, you're, there's a, there's a way in which this has um, made you more mindful of food 
in general without question and i think that that in and of itself i think anytime we can be more mindful um is 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 a worthwhile endeavor but then there's like maybe maybe the thing that is most powerful from what you said is like what I think what I love about cooking and what I love about baking and Mm -hmm. you know the times that I've I've done some brewing like what I love about that and and even there's an element of 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 this in growing but like it's it's different um there's an alchemy that takes place in the kitchen right yes of like being able to put all of these ingredients together and like changing a thing from one state to another state listen Last night, I caramelized some onions. What is more magical than that? I didn't do anything except add heat to onions, <laughs> and they change states. Yes. This wonderful, sugary thing. It's incredible. It's, 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 it's miraculous. Like, it, it should be awe-inspiring. Um, mm. I'm currently, like, smoking a pork butt right now, and, like, yes. this is one of, it's one of the things that I, like, like baking. It's one of the things that I, baking bread, it's one of the things I love because it's slow, and, like, the, the all-day change of yes. the texture and color and consistency and smell is, is like, and, and I think, and, and, like, I'm gonna take this to, like, maybe a weird uh conclusion but i think in that change in alchemy is a recognition of our ability to change yes our ability to be transformed and like there's something hopeful in that maybe that's Mm. a maybe that's a step too far but i i think that there's there's something like one it's our our agency in being able to change things right it's Mm -hmm. it's like like when we see all these things in the world that we can't change and then we go and step into the kitchen and there's this space where we can change a thing amen like that 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 reminds us of our own agency and then i think in some ways it also reminds us of the fact that like there are forces that like time that act on us and change us and allow us to cook and 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 get flavor and and uh you know become more of what we're supposed to be and um i don't know i agree i think i think you're echoing um one of the most powerful one of the more powerful resurrection stories from john the breakfast on the Mm. beach um and specifically that uh, there's that there's that weird that that fascinating connection that Peter smells that charcoal fire, which reminds him of when he denied Jesus before. But mm-hmm. also, that charcoal fire is is roasting fish, mm-hmm. and um, I I don't know about you when I when I read that story and I've learned I've learned it by heart. I I get a little hungry. Yeah. And I describe. Yeah. Um, maybe and specifically maybe what they smelled when they got off the boat. Not unlike your pork butt that you're that you're smoking right now. Like that 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 sense of time. I'm totally with you, and that it changes us. Yes. And I think a big piece of that is that it's engaging our senses mm. in a way that I'll oftentimes I wouldn't maybe oftentimes I've been in situations where we're fully disconnected from our food, mm-hmm. and even sense wise. And then it just becomes like, a, I'm just trying to, to, to get fuel into my body, which yeah. is, 
you know, uh, depressing, but also real. Right. And I think there's something about, especially for me, and you named it, um, it's been a big piece of my own, just my own movement in this time and this pandemic time, my own learnings is I have got to slow down. Mm. It's not a suggestion anymore. <laughs> it, it has to happen. And cooking forces that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it really does. There, there are days where I spend probably 90% of my time in the kitchen and that's days where I'm, where I'm like, I'm working at home and I'm doing other things, but, um, but there's all these things going on in the kitchen and it, it's, it's like in some kind of crazy way. Cause I'm so isolated. It's like, I'm not alone. There's stuff happening in the kitchen. There's things that are moving in the kitchen. There's heat that's being applied. There's, there's transformation happening in the kitchen. Even as I go do other stuff, which between you and me just makes me feel very capable, which is one of the best, best things I can feel in, in my depressed state is, is to feel capable, which is kind of what you're talking about before in terms of, you know, when it comes to the kitchen, I mean, yeah, I, I am the, uh, I am the, uh, the omnipotent ruler of my kitchen, right? Like I, <laughs> everything happens exactly the way that I want it to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's that it, it's, a, it's a sense of like, okay, there is a, there's a realm of, of the universe that I control and, and that the worst thing that can happen through my uh, omnipotence is that things are over salted. Right. Like, it. it's, it's, it. And even then for me as a salt lick guy, I've, I've over salted and I've just been like, okay, learn, learn your lesson next time, but I'm still eating it. Right. I mean, um, yeah. Biscuits and gravy. I oversalted biscuits, biscuits and gravy once. And I just, I just felt bad for the gravy, but still it worked. Right. So yeah. I, mean, I do think, I do think there are pieces of, um, and the, the time that it takes forcing me to slow down, um, forcing me to consider and not unlike mindfulness when, when those, uh, when, when we're trying to get to a state of meditation, I, I'm, I'm usually pretty bad at it. And I can't get to that, that mindfulness that they're searching for that sense of, I can feel my breath or I can feel my feet on the floor. I've always kind of struggled with that, but not in the kitchen. Mm. I can smell the onions at every step of the process. I can, I can feel the heat coming from the oven. I can, I can feel the asparagus as I'm washing it off and, um, and then boiling it, I can, right? Like there's all these things that are happening that I feel very present. Yeah. More than any other place. I, so uh, more than any other place, I want to ask, how does that process of cooking compare to the art of filmmaking? Oh, like when, you're, when you're in that process of editing and, and shooting and because uh, that's another realm where you where you have a little bit of control, uh, not always of what's in front of the camera, but like Indeed. once you get to the editing space, you have a little bit more of control. So how how do those processes compare in your mind? Mm. Well, first off, just a plus segue, Thank Derek. It's <laughs> um, a good question. I think both of them take a lot of time and early on in my filmmaking career was not unlike how I would eat food. It's just, let's, let's get the shot, get it quick and get out of there. Um, where now I would say I'm, I'm prepping for uh, a couple of days of filming coming up for a music video. And I'm planning on having two or three hours with the artists 
that the camera's rolling and I won't take any of that footage, right? It just takes some time to get used to the space and to get used to the people in front of the camera. What kind of lighting do I want to use? And how are they, how are they looking on camera? Um, it takes, it oftentimes, takes, oftentimes it takes a lot of time for us to get comfortable with a camera. And you can tell people who are comfortable and people who are not mm-hmm. with a camera. And sometimes that takes a little bit of time to get used to it. And so um, I think as I, as I work more as a filmmaker, I'm just, I'm more open to recognizing that to make something beautiful, it just takes a lot more time than maybe I'm thinking it will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a good thing because um, listen, it's a minute to learn a lifetime to master. There's plenty (laughs) of things that I still don't know about editing or filmmaking. I'm constantly learning. There's things I don't know about cooking as well, but it's like, at the same time, you don't have to, so to, to rip on my Enneagram three, or maybe really a one, you don't have to be perfect at any of this to do it. Right. You just need to try it out and see, and, and, and you'll learn more. And I think, um, you know, to, for every time I've oversalted something and I've overexposed somebody on screen, um, I get a lot of time to spend with on the editing room floor to try to fix my, fix those mistakes. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's, peaking a little bit uh, on their audio that I, I got the microphone too close to them. I have to sit with that peaked audio for a very long time after. So what I'm saying is as a filmmaker, I spent a lot of time thinking about how I could be better Mm. because I'm spending a lot of time with footage, oftentimes my own footage that I am trying to make better. Right. And there's that constant process and it's never going to be perfect. Talk to anybody who's created any film, uh, uh, with however many awards you want to to place on them, almost invariably when they talk about their project, they they talk about things they wish that they could improve on, right? <laughs> um, or things that they wish that they had d- done differently. Um, and so, I, I for me, and this is just for me personally, my brain works well in in that kind of environment. That. Uh, in, in, for both cooking and filmmaking where it's like, I've got a handle on some of this art form, but not all of it. And so therefore, as Samin says, cook something every day, no matter what, just cook something. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, that was just some rice. But that means often some days it's just rice. So I'm getting really good at cooking rice, right? <laughs> um, and and it's, it's um, I've experienced this in stories that I've heard from Japan. I don't think it's just... Uh, relegated to that island nation. Um, but this sense of, especially uh, uh, ancient Japan, of of samurai and others that would just spend all day long trying to perfect their craft, whatever that craft was. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've just, I've always been inspired by that, um, by that dedication. Um, and I feel like, uh, I feel like cooking has become that for me and filmmaking has has been that for for most of my life from the minute i picked up a camera i've always been like how do i how do, how do i do this how do i continue to learn this and how do i how do i get better does that make sense absolutely absolutely um tell me like i don't even know if i've like 
just personally asked you this question, but um, what was it that inspired you to get into filmmaking? What was it that inspired you to first pick up a camera and and say, I, I want to do this. I want to put things on film. I want to tell stories this way. Like, where, where did that come from? Well, early on, very early, it was just as a kid, I just, uh, I liked playing with things. And so a camera was something to play with. And then as I got a little bit older, I hated being in photography. I hated being in photographs. So that guaranteed that I wouldn't be if I was the one with the camera. <laughs> so those two things were early on in my progression as a human being. Um, but what I think the moment that, that it really hit to your point, Derek, um, in college, I took a job as a, with the student newspaper. And at this point, we're still using film in camera. This is at the turn of the century. And we had to, we had to develop that film in a dark room. So there was a whole process there that I haven't touched in a very long time. But you can see how it kind of invigorated my Enneagram 3 mm-hmm. to run into like this big process. And I'm like, that's awesome. Um, but beyond, you know, beyond the dark room and film and all that stuff, and thank God we're in the digital age now, let me just say, I don't want to go back to that necessarily. Although talk about having to take your time. Yeah. Um, I went to um, a sporting event. <laughs> I think it was soccer. I'm speaking as if I don't know. I'm speaking as like, like, like when, when, when Romney called it sport, you know, I like sports. Um, no, I like sports. I just don't remember if it was soccer or baseball, to be honest. Um, but it was like a, it was a, it was a close game. And at the end there was just this release of emotion and our team won. And it was just a, it was a moment. And I remember being there with my camera and looking at that moment happening in real time and thinking, Oh, like my goal is to get an image that kind of sums up what's happening here. In some ways I'm kind of like an explorer. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find that, that one shot that maybe nobody else can see that can, that can, um, translate what's happening in this moment. And so, you know, I took some pictures there. I don't remember which one was used in the, in the paper, but that just, I remember feeling as though the, the, the equipment in my hands, this camera was kind of magical and it, and when I looked through the viewfinder and I took pictures I, starting early off, it's photography. Eventually it morphed into, into filmmaking, but any filmmaker, you always have to start as a photographer. Like that's the, that's the, that's the baseline for this is how do you look through a viewfinder? How do you set a shot? And how do you take that shot? Recognizing that I just remember being in that moment at that sporting, at, at that moment, at that game where I feel like a lot of people would have paid good money to, have that moment captured for them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And anyways, I, I just, I still remember that feeling and it was just, it was, uh, it was, the, it was the, it was the same feeling. The moment, the first moment that I learned how to ride a motorcycle, that first moment when I took off on a motorcycle, there's nothing like it. Hmm. And I thought, Oh, I've just, I've discovered something new, like a, a new skill that I can learn. And that's how that felt in that, at that game. Um, and that moment was gone very soon. Right. I mean, it's a very Ecclesiastes. It came and then it was gone before we even knew. Um, and yet there's something that a camera can do that can cut through 
in some ways magically uh, cut through uh, the dimension of time mm. that for us, I mean, time is just right. Like time, time just controls us so much and it, it, it takes things away that we want to experience more and it makes things last longer, things that we don't want to experience. And, and here's a, here's this machine. It's only been created in the last century and a half mm-hmm. that gives us an opportunity to not only capture a moment, but then share that with other people mm-hmm. who weren't there. That's, you talk about alchemy. That is real alchemy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we we even, and you use the language to, to capture a moment, to like be able to seize hold of a moment in time um, in a way that it becomes uh, timeless, mm. uh, in a way that, that actually takes it outside of time. Um, that's it. and, and, and becomes, becomes this, this, um, you know, an, an artifact almost. Um, yes, but that's, that's, that's such a, that's such a, like, it's such an amazing, like, it's so interesting to hear you say that, like, um, while yes, it's interesting that like, yes, every filmmaker has to, uh, essentially, you know, be a photographer, um, it's really interesting to hear that that love and that like um, that spark for you happened in a moment of doing still photography. Like that's mm-hmm. that's I think that's um, yeah, that's really incredible. That's really incredible. Thank you. Uh, Can I just say that that's never left me. And so yeah, um, just thinking now as a filmmaker is that there's that sense of again when, once I look through the viewfinder. Let's say we're at a at a, uh, a worship service and it's, and there's only like maybe 15 people in the, in the sanctuary. Um, once I figured out how to create my own frame of reference, then I can walk into that sanctuary and anybody else who walked in would see kind of like eh, 15 people in a sanctuary, but I can shoot it. I can film it in a way that it makes it seem like it's full. Right. Right. And I don't want to get too far into that. I'm not saying I'm like creating a different reality or lying, but I am saying that like sometimes we miss beautiful things um, because we're not, we're not looking at it in the right way. Right. I mean, because sometimes we see like there's only 15 people in a space instead of there are 15 people in a space. Yes. And like every one of those 15 people is created in the image of God yes. and valuable and yes. is bringing something to the experience. Yes. And if we took like a really close shot of one of those people uh, with their hands um, on their lap as they as they pray, that can be a powerful, intimate moment that maybe you would never first see when you walk into that sanctuary. So I just wanted to say, like, I think that that it's taught me being a filmmaker has just taught me how to how to look at things differently. And I am so grateful for that. Mm. Mm. I, I and I, I echo that as 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 someone who you know went through film school. Yes, um, I, I I do think that there is a level of um, appreciation for detail, appreciation for um, perspective that that filmmaking and photography gives to us. 
of of that the same thing seen from a different perspective can can be completely go from being completely mundane to completely magical um this absolutely so this the same object with the right lighting or the yes. right amount of shadow can can go from being dull and plain to being full of detail and full of 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 depth um and that yeah. that is that is it is magical yeah Absolutely. I mean, and it's just, it's not unlike the way maybe you might look at a plot of ground in a way that I couldn't see. Mm. And what you and Sam and, 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 and Anna are doing and, and what we're all doing, I think, to try and bring this, these stories to the, to the forefront is that there's a lot happening within food and faith communities that you're seeing things that other people are not seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when we when we talked last, um, the story uh, of you know, we didn't even have a title. <laughs> For real, it's been a journey, uh, y'all. It, it, it has been a journey, um, but a wilderness like Eden um, didn't. You know, there wasn't a story. There was a bunch of footage, and there was sort of, I think a direction that we knew we were going, but then you really did the work of bringing out a story of connecting the dots of the four people that were interviewed, the four different locations and bringing out this story. Um, so, so in your words, what, what is the story of a wilderness like Eden part one? Mm. Great question. There are, we are so deeply connected with our food and yet we live in a time and place and perhaps culture in some ways that seeks to separate us from that. Mm. And we've lost a lot of under, we've lost a lot of the holy that is connected to growing food, eating food, teaching others how to eat, teaching others how to grow food, connecting deeply with ancestor traditions. I'm thinking specifically of Heber, ancestor traditions of black Americans in this country too, that have been so deeply connected to, to their, to their land um, historically that, Maybe they've lost that and they want to get back. I, I feel like um, the story that was sitting there was a story of passion and joy when it comes to this land mm. and what this land represents and what it can and what it can provide for us, especially given how bloody the history of this land has been in this country. Mm -hmm. um, I think what we have was four different people who have literally put their blood, sweat and tears into the land. And they have these beautiful stories of what has grown out of it. And I wanted to, I feel like episode one, especially what we have so far was trying to focus on share that that excitement that that beauty that that challenge that 
frustration, everything that, that happens with people who work at the intersection of food and faith, um, who work the land and then try to connect it to their faith. Hmm. I think, I think those are, it's like that, that connecting point is something we just do not talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, I also want to say that I'm trying to describe to you a process that I can't fully describe myself, (laughs) which is um, Michelangelo talked. I'm not calling myself Michelangelo. He would always talk about how, you know, when he, when he was, when he sculpted is that the, he, he didn't sculpt anything. He just got rid of, the excess uh, material to get what he saw inside. That's, that's absolutely how I feel about editing. Mm -hmm. The, the story is there. I just got to get rid of everything that doesn't connect to that. Yeah. Yeah. I, that makes sense. It absolutely does. And, and I, you know, one of the things, so when we, you know, when we had to shift, you know, we had this process that was going on from April 2019, and we were beginning to have these conversations about this film and how it would go and where we would shoot. And and then the pandemic happened, and we kind of shifted towards making a pandemic-centered episode. And... yes. Because so much of the rest of the experience of the pandemic was so mournful and sad and hard, I fully expected this episode to have that feeling. Mm. And what I heard instead was what you're just explaining was passion and hope and 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 excitement you know um you know when 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 heber when heber is talking about um you know not going back to normal you know there's there's actually an excitement for the ways that this event has stopped us and slowed us and and made us more connected to one another um yes I'm like, this isn't, this isn't really a question. It's just kind of an observation of like, for a piece that is really centered on the pandemic and the ways that these ministries shifted because of the pandemic, it's incredibly hopeful. It's incredibly optimistic. It's incredibly, um, uh, upbeat, like mm. life-giving, inspiring. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's it's. There's no downer. I mean, like the 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 reality of the pandemic certainly is heavy for the folks who have shifted their ministries and and for all of us in some right. ways. But but that heaviness doesn't come across in the ways that people are talking about their work, nor in the way that you've shaped the story. It it's it's actually an incredibly uplifting story Mm. at the end of the day Mm -hmm. yeah and i think 
I mean, in some ways it's, 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 there's a lot of things left on the editing, editing, editing room floor. Right. So, um, there, 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 there was some more of that. Like we, we, we had some pretty long conversations for each of the four people. Um, and so in some ways that's just editing to, to draw out the more hopeful pieces. But I agree with you, Derek, that like, I was kind of amazed as well to, to set up my shots and then just to start rolling and, and say, tell me, tell me, tell me about what you're doing that, that really, I didn't have to give too much, um, too much preface to just hear, uh, not just hope around the, the shifting of ministries during the pandemic, but definitely like Heber says, but I think all of them, um, all of them, they don't say they might not say it out loud, but they're definitely suggesting it that this can be a gift. This pandemic can be a gift. Mm-hmm. And this was early on, right? I mean, we mm-hmm. filmed this in the first summer of the pandemic in 2020. Um, and even though, you know, if we looked at the raw interviews, there might be moments where they kind of each person maybe said um, something that could have been a little bit more. I don't know, not downer, but just recognizing the reality of it. And not that I didn't want to include that, but it was like overwhelmingly, they would almost automatically pivot towards, you know, um, yeah, it's been a little bit frustrating, but man, just imagine the possibilities of the future of this, mm-hmm. of, of not having to constantly be doing this rat race, not having to be running from place to place. That, um, uh, visually, I think of um, Alice's garden, because there are a lot of people that were moving around her that, that may have been a little bit more uh, at my speed of kind of like walking fast and doing things at Venice <laughs> is just like this, this lighthouse of calmness. Mm. Um, and I think she really showed that, um, that there, that there's a gift that there can be a gift in this pandemic and how, how best to, sh- how better to show that than on screen. Right. When I was talking with Heber, it was, it was getting ready to rain. And then maybe you notice that starts raining halfway through. It was a, it was a, just a blah Baltimore day. <laughs> and when I saw him get out of his car, you know, it has mask on, I had my mask on and, and it just felt like we were really separated. Um, and then once we set up and of course we were far enough away from one another and we were able to, 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 be a little bit more comfortable and get him talking. I think, you know, that's one of my favorite interviews of the episode, but in the moment it was awful, not awful, but in the moment (laughs) it wasn't fun at all. Right. It was, it was, it was frustrating. And I, I just, I love, I cannot say enough about that alchemy that happens between the day of, if you had just been there with a, with a phone, with your phone and just taking a, a general wide angle shot of it, it wouldn't have looked anything like what we see now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the magic of film. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's, I think that's part of, you know, it's, it's the magic of film. It's also the magic of a, of a skilled filmmaker. And I, oh, thank I think you. that's, that's a part of, of your being able to take a, uh, less than ideal situation and being able to one um i mean it's one i mean uh, you are a skilled filmmaker it doesn't take a lot of skill to get brilliance out of heber but this is um, very true but but you were able to 
get get the energy and and get the you know get the feeling of that space where it doesn't you certainly don't get the feeling of of this being a a drudgery to <laughs> to capture right. this moment right and no, i think that's no. that's yeah. what's that's what's beautiful mm. um Thank you. i think one of the things that uh you know as as preachers we often say that like i'm preaching first and foremost to myself like i i've often found that that's been my my uh emma when i'm writing a sermon is that like i'm looking at the text and saying what is the thing from the text that i actually need to hear right um i think you know, you've already spoken a little bit about the ways that the process of making and the uh, making this film and telling the story has, in some ways, impacted you. Um, I, I, I'm interested in like what what has been what have been some of the takeaways for you in making this and making the and doing this project and making this film and um, sitting with some of the subject matter um you know for, for the you know when you're editing you're sitting with that subject matter for quite a bit um you're becoming very acquainted with it <laughs> I, I, that, yeah yeah podcast yeah. editor you know what i'm talking about yep no it's true it's true um so so i mean what what became some of the important takeaways for you and and thinking about your your own life and your own connections with food and and the ways that you know food inter intersects with your understanding of the divine and all of all those sorts of big questions big questions i mean i think a big takeaway is we are so small as human beings heber here mentions with the trees but sam talks about this a lot as well um we we are we are just one part of a massive tapestry of this of this planet of of creation and oftentimes we don't act that way or we haven't and we have not been taught that way many times and um i think the act of gardening and and growing your own food off obviously makes that clear from the interviews that i had i think that was a big piece from everybody that 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 we as human beings are both incredibly powerful and have the ability to to bring this planet to the edge of of, of maybe existential disaster in one way um, but we also have the ability and the power to create beauty mm. to yeah. to to take these plots of land and to work them with such love and care that Sam could be out there. And that was like a, that was a 90 degree humid day in, in, in Maryland when I filmed him and he had been working probably for four or five, six hours at that point. And he was more than, and you could see it when he started talking about, um, about how he had you know, the intersections with theology and, and food and, and how, how the pandemic has taught us that we, that we are fully interconnected and that this is a good thing and that, um, and we can't keep building silos for ourselves. And, and in some ways that's kind of how we eat, right? We go and get the food. We don't know where it comes from. We take it back. We eat it, um, at home, fully disconnected from any part of what brought it to us. And, um, 
So I think that was one of the big takeaways is how people, how the people that we talked to, the more that they spent time working the land and growing food and making those theological connections for their own ministries and teaching others how to grow food and, and teaching others this beautiful connection between the food and, and the land. That, that taught them that they are even smaller than maybe they thought they were, hmm. right? Like in some ways for any of us who learn, right? There's that sense that the more we learn, the more we learn that we don't know anything. Right. right. Um, and so I felt, I felt that I felt, I felt, I felt a, a sincere, humble humility looking at both looking at how much they didn't know. And these are people who know a lot of stuff, Derek, and they, and they, they knew what they're talking about. Right. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. a fascinating um, aspect of it. And I'll go back again to Heber and the trees, but I think that's a big, that's a good microcosm of um, of recognizing that we are in a place right now in a society and in a, a world that is kind of sick. It's, it's a bit, it's, it's sick in different ways. And I felt that these four people that we talked to were healers mm -hmm. and they healed with their hands and they healed with their words and they healed with their energies and that, that, that's, a, that's a big takeaway. Mm. I, and it's like that recognition that especially in hopeless times, that's when you need hope. Yeah. You need that kind of tough, uh, that, that stubborn kind of hope. I felt they were all stubbornly hopeful. Yeah. Um, so that was a big takeaway. And I think just a, another uh, takeaway, just with sitting with all this footage is to recognize that, I'm amazed by how much they talked with each other. They are not in the same space, same room. They did not see each other's interviews. And yet they, they were in conversation with one another. Mm. Mm. Sam and Nuria in some ways, especially and Heber and Venice, almost like Heber and Venice were talking about the same thing for a certain amount of time that I could just overlay it as though I were asked <laughs> as though I, we were having the conversation like in a, you know, in a phone call, a three-way phone call or something. Right. It was that. Mm. And that to me says there's something that the spirit is doing Yeah, that, that, that you can even have those connections in, with people who like that. Those are just four completely different interviews. There were completely different questions. I mean, I had Anna's help, but like I was, I was having different conversations with, with each of them. And yet they still talked about some of the same things of how we've lost our connection with the land and how beautiful it is to bring it back and, and what food means for us and for our communities and not just eating, but, but food access and food apartheid and the systemic levels of how we, shift or make sure that some people don't have the kind of protein and food that they can eat or should be able to eat. Do you see that recent French McDonald's that had been taken over? Yeah. I just saw that bank? today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if I had any French, I would say the French now, but like, how amazing is that? That's, um, and I think in some ways that's what I took from the first episode is that um, these four people in some ways they were, they were uh, they were taking over a conversation 
and uh, they were shifting it towards the meat, towards what matters. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is a nice McDonald's, but really we should be using this to feed people because right now our country is struggling like that, that kind of moment. I think that's yeah. happening within a wilderness like Eden. Like yeah. there are people who see that the things are not as they should be. Yeah. And they're trying to do what they can in their spheres to change that. And I think that's, and that's brilliant. And it's not just one person. They're all doing that work. And at some points the the conversation would overlap. And I was, it it, it was just amazing to see in editing. Yeah. Oh, you're you're talking about the same, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. How can, how can that not be the spirit? Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, so I want to uh, bring this to an end, asking you um, very specifically, uh, not not just what brings you hope, but what is your what is your hope for this project? Um, this this is a um, you know we've <laughs> you've done this. Um, uh, you know, this has been a, a, a labor of love for you and, and with, with, you know, hopes that we'll be able to, to really generate some energy and resources around being able to do some more and, and um, things like that. But I'm just Absolutely. Kind of interested in hearing from you, like, what are, what are your, what are your hopes when it comes to this film? I hope that it can inspire people to, recognize where their own food is coming from, but even deeper than that, maybe inspire them to connect with others around food in some way that, that the, that the idea that, that when they think about food, they don't just think about a grocery list, but they think about what people, maybe there are people around me in my own community right here who are doing this powerful work of, of bringing, of, of, of bringing something out of nothing, which is literally, I mean, I understand that there are seeds and it's photosynthesis and there's all these wonderful things that happen. But when I look for me as an amateur uh, amateur for me as a lay person, when it comes to anything to do with gardening, it's just, that's magic. You, you look at a plot of field and then months later you have things in that field. Um, and not just anything, but things that can feed and nourish others. And that when you work that, that land together, you spoke about it, um, in your last episode with the work that you're doing in that plot and, and, and all three of you, the work that you're doing in your plots, but that's, that's an amazing thing. And I, and I hope that people see enough of that in our episode that they are, uh, inspired or maybe moved, maybe uh, pushed to to see how they could connect in this story. Not all of us are gardeners. Not all of us are called to be teachers, sisters and brothers, siblings. Not all of us <laughs> are called to be gardeners. I am not one of those people. Um, and and yet, um, as we've talked about before, I think this has even affected my own life to push me towards looking with more intentionality at at these intersections of food and faith and to not take it for granted. Um, 
I hope that the, I hope that people can see. I, yeah. I hope that people can see that they're not alone. Um, that there, there's, 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 there are good things happening, even in a pandemic, there are good things happening. Um, I think that just gets down to a, a, a deeper level of how I consider film in the first place. The, the, the magic of, of, of film is that you can share a visual on a screen with somebody else that you've never met before. And yet you can both be watching something on a screen and it can affect you in a way that it changes your trajectory after you've seen it. Yeah. Now that's a big hope and I'm not putting my, I'm not putting our episode in like a major shift uh, or I'm not assuming it's going to cause a major shift with people, but why not? Why not? Um, why not? And I've been very moved uh, by so many things. I mean, I feel now as, as I'm more of a, you know, professional freelance filmmaker, I'm only watching more movies and more documentaries and more things, right? Like, and I'm constantly moved high on the hog just recently. If we want to talk about food and faith has been a big one. Um, And it just reminds us of the magic of the beauty, the holiness, the, the divine aspect of what we're doing with this film, which is, carve you know getting rid of the stuff that doesn't connect and 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 finding carving out and finding in the midst of something that before we looked at it and it didn't seem like it looked like anything but now maybe after watching this episode people can see that there's there's something happening here Hmm. yeah i know you asked for specifics and i'm being very broad there's something happening (laughs) that's good you know good and and you know what and i think it's good to keep it vague because i think that something is going to be different for every viewer and and um yes and i and i want to um leave the space for the spirit to do what the spirit does and and let that something be different for everyone in in their own life and in their own way it sounds like you're talking about the preaching moment. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And in some ways, you know, there is a, there is a aspect of that in this Absolutely. project. Um, not that we're trying to preach at people, but there is a, there is a way in which we have, we have taken the texts of, of the lives that we lived in this pandemic. Um, and, and we've, shaped and molded and exegeted um, those parts of our lives and hopefully constructed it into something that is life-giving and life-affirming and inspiring. And so. Amen. I mean, hopefully, and to your point around what do we need, you know, as preachers, we're often looking at what we need to hear ourselves. What do we need to preach to ourselves? I think um, for the, for a wilderness like Eden, I needed to see for myself that that I'm not alone in this hunger for justice and this hunger for, for equity mm. and this hunger for, um, for true and lasting transformative change. I'm not alone in that. Yeah. And that's, sometimes that's the only thing that keeps you going is knowing that you're not alone in it. Jason, this is, this has been, um, this has been 
phenomenal. This has been such a good conversation. So I agree. Thank you we for having me. Able to do this. Um, yeah. Where can people connect with you? Connect with your work and and all that all that fun stuff. Yeah, I mean, mostly you could just if you just go on Twitter and find me at Crazy Pastor. That's probably the easiest. Um, and from there, uh, uh, you can find other things I'm up to. Um, and if you're if you're not on Twitter, um, brag about it. It's probably better for you and your mental health anyways. Um, if you just want to go to a website, <laughs> oncoastfilms.com. Um, A-N-K-O-S stands for a new kind of storytelling. Maybe that can help you remember it. Um, uh, ankosfilms.com is another way you can connect. Awesome. And of course, um, uh, Wilderness Like Eden will be out July 22nd and uh, can't wait. Be, it'll be at the Sustaining Church Conference and it'll also uh, be on the food, the brand new Food and Faith website that will mm. be launching here in the next couple of weeks. And Praise Jesus. That soon. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for being with us and to all of you listeners. Um, thank you for listening and we will be back with more episodes more coming about the film and um looking forward to talking to you more we are excited to invite you to a free conference this summer it's called sustaining church reimagining communities of faith in a climate crisis the aim of this conference is to bring together theological thinking on creation care with those that are actively growing or starting christian communities that care for land the hope is that this will be the first of many conversations that inspire further theological thinking around caring for creation, as well as an opportunity to network and empower localized growing communities of faith. The conference will be held over Zoom, so even though it's in the UK, you can take part. Some of our keynote speakers will be familiar to fans of this podcast. Nuriel of Parrish, Ellen Davis, and Norman Worsba, just to name a few. A full list of speakers and tickets can be found at www.hazelnutcommunityfarm.com. Thank you for listening to the Food and Faith Podcast. Our collaborators are Wake Forest School of Divinity, Plainsong Farm, The Garden Church, and The Keep and Till. Editing is by Derek Weston and music by Paul Deemer. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod, or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org.